title of my message this morning is, Simon, Do You Love Me? It's a question of affection that the Father has for us this morning. And as I go through this word, I want you to realize and understand, first off, that it's not a word of condemnation, but it is a word of reconciliation and a word of restoration, because that's the business God's in, amen? He's always in the business of restoring us and reconciling us. When we're broken, His job is to put us back together, amen? And this is what He's trying to do with the life of Peter, Peter who had fallen, and this whole message is about reconciling him back to a right relationship with Christ. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are in this house this morning. We thank you, God, that it's your desire to have us seated with you in heavenly places. I thank you that we've gathered in the name of the Most High this morning, not gathered in the name of men, but we have gathered in the name of Jesus Christ the Lord. We pray this morning, Father God, that this word would find a place within the soil of our soul. I pray that this word would be anointed, Father God, that you would anoint my mind, anoint my body, anoint my lips, that your words would come forth with truth and revelation, with the anointing and the unction of your Holy Spirit. We dare not come into this place in our own strength or in our own wisdom, God, but we yield ourselves to you. Give us ears to hear this morning. Give us hearts that are willing to receive, Father, your word with gladness so that we might be changed and transformed. God, we come against the cares and the concerns of the weak. We come against all of those spirits that would try to distract us and disrupt us, that would try to snatch away your words this morning. We just pray that your spirit would have rule and reign in this place, but most of all, in our hearts this morning. I pray that your word would be sharper than any two-edged sword this morning, that it would pierce into the soul and the spirit of everyone in this house this morning, that we would be changed by the power of your word. We give you the praise and the glory and all of God's people said, amen. You might be seated. I've taken the title of my message this morning from John chapter 21 verses 1 through 19. It's where Peter's love was put on trial. I'm not going to read the entire passage all at one time, but I will take the time to highlight individual verses as I go along in this passage, trying to paint a a verbal picture of this moment where Peter was forced to look deep inside the soil of his soul and measure out the depth of his love. I want you to be prepared this morning because it's what the Holy Ghost wants to do in our lives as well. He wants this word to become a measuring rod against our affection for the Father. He wants to use this word this morning to be used as a measuring rod against the confession that we have for Christ, that confession that says, I love you. But the reality is, you know as well as I do, with our lips, we can show much love while our heart is far away. So what the Holy Spirit wants to do is He wants to take these words and He wants to measure them against our confession to see how deep our affection for the Father really goes. It's a question of affection this morning. In this same place where Peter was called into ministry three and a half years earlier, his affection for the Father is about to be called into question and for good reason. You know as well as I do that just a few days earlier, Jesus or Peter denied even knowing Christ. 
He refused to be associated with Christ. When, when the rubber met the road, when he had to give an account of the hope that lay within him, church, he refused to take ownership of Jesus Christ in his own personal life. Three times Peter denied the Christ, and now three times he would have to answer the same question. The question that we would have to answer this morning as well, it's the question the Holy Spirit has for us. Simon, do you love me? South Metro Ministries, do you love me? I could say Betty, Susan, Peter, John, Martha, David, Sammy, do you love me? It's a question of affection this morning. Before we're quick to answer, before we're quick to respond to say yes, what we need to do is listen to the word of the Lord this morning and measure ourselves against God's word. Listen, we're not here this morning to measure our love against anybody else. You see, the first time, and I don't want to get ahead of myself, but I'm not planning on preaching it. The first time Jesus asked Peter if he loved him, he said, do you love him more than these? But when Peter responded, he dared not compare his affection or his love to anyone else because in front of these same disciples, he didn't, when, he, when he boldly proclaimed, God, when all of these fail you, Jesus, when all of these walk away, I won't. But I want you to understand this morning, it's not about comparing our affection to the one sitting next to you this morning. It's not whether you love him more than the one sitting next to you, the one sitting in front of you, or the one sitting behind you. What Jesus cares this morning is, is if you love him. If you love him with all of your heart, your mind, your soul, your strength. You see, if you compare yourself to the neighbor, you might love him more than you, you actually, you might think you love him more than you actually do. The question this morning is, Simon, do you love me? In John 21, verses 1 through 14, and like I said, I'm not actually going to read them, but I will be covering them as we go through this passage. So if you open up, you'll see where I'm going in the Word of God. Verses 1 through 14, you'll find that Jesus appears to some of His disciples at the sea. Simon Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples are mentioned in this passage of Scripture. They're the ones that, that make up this setting. Those are the ones that are involved. This is the third time after His resurrection that Jesus appears to His apostles. He's appeared to Mary and Martha and a couple of but this is the third time He appears to His apostles. Many believe that this is the first time Jesus appears to Peter, or at least the first time since the Last Supper where Jesus and Peter actually have a conversation. So I want you to understand what's behind the question that's about to be asked. I want you to understand what might be going through Peter's mind and what's going on in his heart up until this moment. This time Jesus appears to them on the shores of Galilee where the disciples were out on the water fishing. And what I want you to keep in mind that this is the same place where Jesus began recruiting his disciples. It's the very place where he first found Simon and his brother fishing for fish. It's this very place where Jesus said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And Peter laid down his net, the Bible says, and followed. This is the place. This is the setting. The disciples are in Peter's boat about a hundred yards offshore, the Bible says. They've toiled all through the night trying to catch some fish. They, they've tried all their favorite spots. They, they've used up as much of their bait. They've done everything they can, toiling through the night trying to catch some fish. But the Bible says their nets were still empty. 
Jesus at this moment shows up on the shore. He walks along the the, the sea bank and he hollers out to them, haven't you caught anything yet? It's a question most fishermen hate to hear, especially if you haven't caught anything. I don't know how many fishermen are in the house, but when you haven't caught anything and that question is echoed to you, it, it, it It makes you feel awkward. It makes you feel like you haven't accomplished anything, haven't done anything right, church. But but he shouts out, haven't you caught anything yet? To which they reply, no. Not realizing, the Bible says, who it was speaking to them. Not realizing that it was the Christ, the Son of the living God. Not realizing that it was the Messiah. Not realizing that it was Jesus Christ the Lord. Not realizing who it was standing at the shore, they said no. And I pause just to tell you that there's some of you in the house this morning in the same exact place. You don't realize that Jesus the Messiah is in the house. You don't realize that the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Alpha, the Omega, the first and last, the beginning and the end. You don't realize that the bright and the morning star is in the house this morning. You don't realize that Jehovah Rapha, you don't realize that Jehovah Shalom, you don't realize that Jehovah Sid Canoe, you don't realize who it is that's in this house this morning. You see, and the reality is, and the lesson that we learn from this is the farther we get from God, the less we recognize His voice. The farther we wander from His will, the the, the harder it is for us to recognize His presence. We can come into His house and yet feel like He's a hundred miles away. I want you to realize this morning that it's not Pastor Jeff Merriman speaking to you. It's the Holy Spirit. I'm not exalting myself. I'm just letting you know that I'm preaching the Word this morning and you have to realize who it is that's standing on the shore and standing at this pulpit this morning. It's the Holy Spirit wanting to reconcile us to Jesus Christ. Reconcile us to a right relationship with the Father. I'm not the one questioning your affection this morning. The Holy Spirit is the author of that question. And unless we recognize who it is, we won't respond. Unless we recognize that we are in the presence of the Most High God, humility will not come upon our hearts, church, and we will not respond to His voice. They did not recognize or realize who was speaking to them. Jesus then suggests that they throw their net on the other side of the boat because there are fish there. How many of you know God always knows where the fish are? Amen? He always knows where the blessing is. He always knows where the abundance is. He always knows where the answer to your need is. And yet so often we wander around this earth trying to find the answer to our need. We run to flesh here and we run to flesh there. We run to man here. We run to man there. We run to this individual and that individual hoping to have our need met, hoping to find our fish. When God is the only one that knows exactly where they are, He knows what your need is this morning, and He knows where the answer is. It's on the side of obedience. It's on the shores of obedience, church. This is where we find the catch. This is where we find the abundance on the on the obedient side of the sea, church. The reality is there's always a blessing on the side of obedience. Amen? 
There's always a blessing when we do what the Father bids us to do, when we're found doing His will. There's always a blessing on the supernatural side of the sea. And I'll tell you what I mean in just a moment, but you need to understand that favor is always found when we are found doing the Father's will. You want favor in your life? Start doing the Father's will. You want your nets to be filled? Start operating in the spirit of obedience. Start yielding your instruments and start yielding your body as instruments of obedience for the glory of the Lord instead of yielding yourselves and yielding your body and yielding your instruments to the flesh through disobedience, church. You see, blessing is always found and obedience is always found on the... I mean, blessings and abundance are found on the obedient side of the sea. The reality is Peter and these apostles, Peter and these disciples... We're not walking in obedience. Peter and these disciples, if you recall, church, they're fishing for fish instead of fishing for men. Peter had laid down his nets three and a half years earlier in order to follow Jesus so he could be fishers of men, so that he could become a disciple of Jesus Christ, so that he could go and make more disciples as well. But Peter and these apostles, these disciples weren't doing that. You have to remember that just a few days earlier that they had forsaken Jesus Christ. When things got tough, they ran away. When things got rough, they, they disowned Jesus Christ. They, they, Peter himself, denied Jesus Christ three times, church. They were walking in fear instead of in faith. Wondering what's going to happen. Wonder what goes from here. They were walking in fear instead of by faith. And the Word of God tells us that without faith... It's impossible to please the Lord. So please understand. Please get a a picture of what's happening here. Jesus walks onto the shore and he finds a displeasing scene. He finds the disciples that he has sown into for three and a half years. Disciples that he had died for. Disciples he had given his life for. Disciples that he had had offered himself up to, to the cross and to the grave. These disciples were the ones that he found out on the sea instead of doing the Father's will, fishing for fish instead of fishing for men. It was a displeasing scene. I want you to know that when we don't do the will of the Father, we are displeasing to the Father. When we don't obey His Word, when we don't listen to His voice, when we don't yield to His command, we are displeasing to the Father, church. And this was a displeasing scene that Jesus found. Please understand, all night Peter had been fishing on the wrong side of the sea. All night, Peter had been fishing on the wrong side of God's will for his life. All night, they were fishing for fish when they should have been fishing for men. All night, they had been fishing for themselves, fishing for their own sustenance, fishing for their own income, fishing for their own reward. That's what they were doing all night when they should have been fishing for the Father. Remember, like I said, three and a half years earlier, Jesus had called them to follow him so they could become fishers of men. And yet here they were fishing for fish instead, fishing for the temporal instead of the eternal, fishing for the flesh instead of the father. And far too often, church, we're found doing the same exact thing. Jesus comes into the shore of our heart. He comes into the seashore of our soul and he finds us out there fishing in the world. He finds us fishing on the wrong side of the boat, fishing for ourselves, fishing for earthly tokens and earthly trinkets, fishing for the the pleasures and the treasures of, of this earth instead of fishing for things eternal. 
Far too often Jesus comes into our life. He comes into our shore because our nets are empty. And He wants to bring a blessing into our life, church. And He finds out the reason why they're empty is because we're storing up treasures on earth instead of treasures in heaven. You see, this is the reality. When Jesus comes into our lives, He wants to see us about the Father's business. He wants to see us answering the high call of Jesus Christ upon our life and not the low call of of Christ upon our lives. You see, when Jesus first found Peter three and a half years earlier, he He was involved in the low call of his life just fishing for fish. But Jesus exalted him to a higher level and said, Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. He gave him a high call. And the sad reality is far too often God comes into our life. He comes to the seashore of our life and He sees us toiling for earthly treasures. Toiling for earthly pleasures instead of fishing for men. Instead of doing the work of the kingdom, instead of doing the Father's will, we're walking in our own ways instead of God's ways. Seeking to please ourselves instead of seeking to please the Father. Listen, I know the word might be hard, but please remember what I said. It's a word of reconciliation and sometimes God has to speak a difficult word in order to bring us back where we belong. In order for us to see how far we have fallen from the faith, how far we have fallen away from our first love. See, God wants a people who loves Him with all of their heart, mind, soul, and strength and not just their lips. That's what it sounds like when our heart isn't equal to our confession. That's all it is. It's baby noises. And God is looking for some more mature saints that are willing to love Him with all of their heart, mind, soul, and strength. When no one else does, I will. When no one else follows, I will. When no one else goes, I'll go. Whatever you bid me to do, whatever you ask me to do, I will, God, because I love you. Here's what we need to realize. They were fishing on the wrong side of the sea. And we often do the same, and then we wonder why our nets are empty. We wonder why our cupboards are bare. We wonder why our bank account's not blessed. We wonder why our marriage is hanging on to the last little morsel of life. Because we're fishing on the disobedient side of the sea. Because the words of life aren't being sown into the soil of our soul. Because life itself isn't part of what's decaying. And I I don't want to get too far off, but you need to understand what I'm saying. The first thing we have to understand is that you can't expect your nets to be filled when you're not doing God's will. We can't expect God to supply all of our needs when we're fishing on the wrong side of the sea. When we're fishing on the wrong side of the boat, we can't expect our cupboards to be filled, church. We can't expect our bank account to be blessed and our nets to be overflowing when we're not doing what He's called us to do, when we're living in disobedience, when we're living in carnality, when we're living in complacency, when we keep casting our net on the sinful, selfish, fleshly side of the sea. That's what we do so often. We're fishing on this side hoping to have our needs met, hoping to find a miracle, hoping to find a healing, hoping to find abundance. We got our back turned to the blessings of God, fishing on the wrong side of life. And we wonder why our nets aren't filled. It's exactly what Pastor Darrell said. Turn, 
turn. It's time for us to turn our nets on the earthly side of the boat. It's time for us to turn our backs on the fleshly side of the sea and turn to Jesus Christ. He's able to meet all of our needs according to His riches and glory. That's where the abundance is found. And this is what He's trying to teach us this morning. Start fishing in a different place. It's why their nets were empty, because God will never fill the nets of disobedience. He'll never fill a corrupt cupboard. He'll never bless a betrayer, church. He'll let us toil all night. He'll let us toil all night, church, until we're willing to throw our nets on the other side. It's what God does. Listen, some of you are toiling in your troubles. You're struggling in your sorrows. Because you're fishing on the wrong side of life. Because you're fishing in the wrong place. And what we have to understand is that if we want to get past our toils and troubles and struggles and sorrows, we've got to start fishing on the obedient side of the sea church. He'll let us toil until we heed His voice like the disciples did here on in this passage and listen to what He said, even not understanding who it was. That's, a th- that, that's called faith. You know, sometimes we might not know why God's asking us to do something, but we do it anyway. It's called faith. And I'll get to that in just a bit. But in verse 6, the disciples take His advice Without any evidence as to why, read it in verse 6. Jesus says, toss your nets on the other side, and they do so. There's no evidence as to why. My guess is this, that just like us, they ran out of all of their tricks. They ran out of all of their tips. They ran out of all of their strength. They tried every one of their special little fishing spots and their their, their special little uh, fishing holes. That They used up all their energy. They used up all their wisdom. They used up all their worms. They used up themselves. Well, maybe that stranger standing on the shore knows a little bit better than me. Maybe that stranger on the shore, you see, that's where God will let us go. He'll let us exhaust ourselves. He'll let us run to the end of our rope just so we will heed His voice and say, hey, I've tried everything else. Why not try Jesus? I've tried everything else. I've tried the pills. I've tried the booze. I've tried the sex. I've tried all of this. I've tried a new wife. I've tried a new husband. I've tried it all. And I'm still empty. Because you're still fishing on the wrong side of the sea. Still fishing in the flesh. Instead of in the spirit. And you wonder why you're empty. This is the lesson the Holy Spirit's trying to teach us, church. Listen, what we have to understand is that when God speaks into our life, He might ask us to do something that we don't understand. It might not make sense. It might seem stupid. It might seem silly. But when God speaks to us, it's not ours to ask. It's not ours to question. It's simply ours to do. Because obedience is better than sacrifice. Amen? Because Jesus said, if you love me, you will do what I say. You can, you can use even a stronger term that's used in the, in the Greek. If, if you love me, Jesus said, you will obey my command. Oh, but we hate that word, obey. Obey. Submit. I told the first service, we hate that word so much, we take it out of our marriage vows anymore. 
What do you mean submit? What do you mean obey? And the problem is we've taken that same exact attitude towards Jesus Christ, the Lord. We've applied that same thought to the covenant we have made with Jesus Christ. What do you mean I got to obey him? What do you mean I got to submit to him? What do you mean I got to yield to him? What do you mean he gets to be the boss over me? It sounds like little children when we are raised up and our parents leave our, our babysitter, our older sister, brother in charge. You ain't the boss of me. You ain't mommy and daddy. But that's the way we act with Jesus Christ. That's the way we act with the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That's the way we act with the Savior of our souls. What do you mean I got to obey? What do you mean I got to walk in your ways and not my own? What do you mean I can't be unequally yoked? What do you mean I can't have sex out of marriage? What do you mean I can't party hardy? What do you mean I can't do these things? And we wonder why our nets are empty. And we wonder why our nets are torn. You see, one of the other truths you're going to find in this passage of Scripture is that when God finally filled their nets, it didn't rip and it didn't tear. Because when we're living in obedience, our life isn't fractured and our life doesn't tear apart. That's why He speaks into our life. He doesn't speak these things into our life to to condemn us. He speaks these things into our life to bring us back into a right relationship with God. Good Lord, why do you think He sent His Son to die? To reconcile us to Jesus Christ. Listen, please understand this. When God speaks a word, when He questions our affection, it means that there's something not right in the house of God. When it comes to a question of affection, it means that he notices us wandering from him, falling away from our first love. He notices our our love growing cold. And that's why he speaks a question of affection into our life. And again, his goal is to restore us and reconcile us. If you love me, you'll do what I say. If you love me, you'll keep my command. I believe Jesus could have been saying this. He didn't say it, but this is what is behind the question that's about to be asked. Peter, if you love me, why are you fishing for fish instead of fishing for men? Do you not recall, Peter, that in this very place you laid down these nets? And I told you to follow me and I'll make you fishers. If you love me, Peter, why are you fishing for fish instead of fishing for men? He could have said, Peter, if you love me, why are you back out on the boat when I've already bid you to come out of the boat? Do you realize that there was a point in Peter's life where he was bid to come out of the boat And he stepped out of the boat and here he is back in that same exact boat, church. And some of us are in that same exact place. You know the time, you know the moment, you know the day that God came into your life and he said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. You know the moment, you know the day, you know the second and the hour that Jesus came to you on your stormy sea and bid you to come to him, rescued you from the storm. But here he is today. Three and a half years later, and you're back on the same boat. You're holding the same nets that you laid down. And this is is why God speaks a word concerning our affection. Because He sees something that's not right. 
He sees something that grieves him. He sees something that hurts him. He sees the need for reconciliation and he sees the need for restoration. It's why it's a question of affection. Please understand what's behind this question that Peter is about to be asked. Peter's in the same boat he stepped out of to walk on a stormy sea. He's holding the same nets he laid down three and a half years earlier in order to be a disciple, to be a disciple and to become a fishers of men. But here he is doing his own will instead of the Father's. He's exactly where he was three and a half years earlier. You see, the sad reality is there's a lot of individuals in the house of God who haven't matured one lick. They haven't gone anywhere with Christ, haven't gone anywhere with God. They're exactly in the same place as they were when God called them two years ago, a year ago, some ten years ago. They've not advanced. They're not advancing the kingdom. They're not multiplying themselves. And again, I'm not saying that I'm not speaking this as as condemnation. I'm speaking it because this is how we demonstrate our affection for the Father by doing His will. Understand all that I've shared so far is what's behind the question that Jesus hasn't even asked yet. Because here, at this point, Peter in verse 6, he's still on the boat. He's still fishing for fish. He's unaware, like I said, that Christ is standing on the shore. He's unaware that the one, that Jesus is the one speaking over the sea. He's unaware that the propitiation for his sins, that the restorer of his soul, that that the kinsman redeemer is a hundred yards away. He's unaware. And I already shared that with you. Some of us are in that same place this morning. He's unaware that, that his reconciliation is one single response away. And Peter does respond, church, and we'll look at that in just a moment. He's unaware of that, but by verse 7, one of the disciples, the Bible tells us, recognizes that the man on the shore to be Jesus. And he goes, oh, Peter, Peter, it's Jesus. Peter, it's Jesus on the shore. Peter! And I want you to realize what's going on in Peter's heart and mind. If this truly is the first time that he would have a conversation with Jesus Christ, if this is truly the first time that he he has the ability to come before the Lord and seek reconciliation and restoration, wonder or imagine what's going on in the soil of his soul. How will he receive me? How does he feel about me? How does, will he, will he still love me? Will he still accept me? Will he still receive me? Will, will he still be my friend? Will he still be my savior? Will he still be my Lord? Maybe guilt and condemnation is weighing him down. Maybe the pains of his past is, is tugging at his heart and speaking lies in his mind. Don't go, don't respond, don't, 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 don't do anything. Jesus hates you now. Jesus turned your back on you now, Peter. Imagine what might be going on in the soil of his soul. And I want you to know that sometimes it's that very thing that keeps us from Christ. The lies of the enemy, the guilt, the shame, the condemnation, the mistakes, the the yesterdays and the yesteryears are the very thing that keep us from coming to Christ today, church. But Peter responds. The Bible says as soon as Peter heard it was Jesus... He put aside the whisperings of the soul. He put aside the the voice of the enemy. He put aside all of those things the Bible says. And he clothed himself and jumped into the sea. 
As soon as he realized it was Christ, the Son of the living God, Peter puts on his clothes and he draws near to Jesus with a sincere heart. As soon as he realized it was Jesus, as soon as he realized it was his Savior, as soon as he realized it was the Messiah and the restorer of his soul, without delay, the Bible says, without procrastination, he responded. He immediately responded to the presence of the Lord. He immediately responded to the voice of the Lord. He immediately responded to the word of the Lord over his life, church. And I believe there's another lesson to be learned right here as well. We know it's Jesus calling. We know it's Jesus speaking. We know it's the Holy Spirit tugging at our heart and speaking into our soul. We know it's Jesus knocking at the door. We know it's Jesus standing at the shore of our soul, but we stall. We hesitate. We procrastinate. We say maybe tomorrow, maybe later, maybe another day. Maybe when I'm not so tied up, maybe when I'm not so wrapped up, I'll respond. Maybe when it's more convenient and maybe when it's more comfortable. Maybe then I'll respond to the voice of the Lord over my life. Maybe when it doesn't cost so much. Maybe when I'm not so busy. Maybe when my hands aren't so full of flesh. Maybe then I'll come to the Lord. Maybe when no one else is looking. Maybe when the disciples aren't around. Maybe no one else is watching. I'll make my way into the presence of the Lord. But the reality is, God says that today is the day of salvation. Amen? Today is the day we're to respond to the voice of the Lord. Today is the day we're to respond to the presence of the Lord. Today is the day we are to respond to the, to the word of the Lord because today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of reconciliation. Today is the day of restoration for those who have wandered away. For those whose love has grown cold. For those who, who have left their first love. For those who have an area of their life that is broken. Today is the day of reconciliation and restoration. Today is the day that we are to clothe ourselves in humility and jump into the sea. Because without Jesus, church, we're wretched. Without Jesus, we are pitiful. Without Jesus, we're poor, blind, and we're naked, church. Just like Peter was when he was fishing on the boat. It's why he clothed himself in the outer garments, the Bible says, and jumped into the sea. Today is the day we are to clothe ourselves in humility. Peter understanding this truth. Peter wanting to make the most of his opportunity. Peter desperate for restoration and reconciliation, desperate to be by Jesus once again, desperate for his forgiveness and his friendship, desperate for a confirmation of Christ's affection. He throws himself into the water, the Bible says, and he swims to the shore to be with Jesus. And I'm wondering again this morning, how desperate are we to be with Jesus Christ? How desperate are we to come into his presence? How desperate are we for a confirmation of His affection? How desperate are we to demonstrate our affection for Christ as well? Are we as desperate as the woman with the issue of blood who pressed through the crowd that was jeering at her 
that was shouting out unclean, that was, that was, that was using the law against her. You see, in order for us to come to Christ, sometimes we gotta press through the crowd. To find reconciliation and restoration, sometimes we gotta pass through the judgment that's sitting around us. Sometimes we gotta press through the legalism in order to come to Jesus Christ. Are we that desperate? Are we as desperate as the four men who are willing to climb up onto a roof and break through the clay roof in order to come into contact with the Christ? Are we as desperate as the blind man who shouted louder than the crowd when he found himself in need? Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Are we that desperate for the Lord? Are we as desperate as Peter to wrap himself in his outer garment, a garment of humility, and throw himself into the sea just to be with Jesus Christ. How desperate are we, church? Please understand, Peter wrapped himself in humility. He wrapped himself in brokenness. He wrapped himself in contrition. And he threw himself into the sea, the Bible says. And one of the truths you need to understand is that when it comes to coming into the presence of the King, we must wrap ourselves in humility. When we come into the presence of Jehovah God, when we come into the presence of our kinsman Redeemer, when we come into the presence of the one whose grace is sufficient for us, when we come into the presence of the the giver of life, church, we've got to wrap ourselves in humility. But sometimes humility is a hard and a heavy thing to wear. Sometimes humility is a hard and a heavy thing to put upon our back and, and carry to Jesus Christ. But Jesus tells me that we must humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord so that He can lift us up, church. Peter understood this truth. He wrapped himself in humility. And here's where I get this. Please understand, I'm making a parallel between humility and this garment that he put on. He didn't dare appear to Jesus in his underwear. He didn't dare appear to Jesus in that which was unclean. He didn't dare appear to Jesus in the flesh. He draped himself In an outer garment, the Bible says, and this garment was a fishing garment. It wasn't some light piece of cotton that just flowed in the wind. That's easy for us to wear. We do it all the time in the house of God. That's easy to wear. Anybody can do that. But this garment that he had on, it was a heavy canvas material that went from head to toe. It was a fisherman's garment. It wasn't meant to wear in the sea. It was meant to wear in the boat to protect them from the elements. It was a heavy piece of canvas that was soaked in oil and soaked in pitch and soaked in tar and soaked in wax. It was a heavy garment. And that's the way humility is sometimes. It's a heavy thing to wear. But it's something we must wear if we dare come before Jesus Christ, if we dare seek for reconciliation, if we dare ask for our nets to be filled once again. We've got to put on that garment. We've got to feel that weight that he felt as he swam 100 yards to Jesus. Every stroke, he felt heavier. Every stroke wore him out until he came to the place where humility brings you. 
to the feet of Jesus as he stands on the shore. That's what it takes for us to experience abundance in our life. That's what it takes to find reconciliation and and restoration. It takes cloaking ourselves in humility and by saying, whatever you ask of me, God, it's not my will, but thy will be done. And sometimes the truth is that's a heavy thing to wear, but it's what we must wear if we desire to come before a holy God. We need to wrap ourselves in humility. I'm wondering once again, please understand, Peter, here he is. I'm going to tell you the difference between walking a step of faith and a leap of faith just a little while before. They've exhausted themselves. They've ran out of their energy. They've ran out of their their steam. They've run out of everything they do and they take this simple little step of faith when this stranger on the shore says, hey, toss your net on the other side of the boat and you'll catch some fish there. That's a step of faith. So they took a step of faith and they threw it out. Well, we've tried everything else. Let's try this. It's a step of faith. But here Peter is. He recognizes that it's Jesus standing on the shore and now he has to take a leap of faith. He has to take a leap of faith past all of the heartache and past all of the guilt and past all of the shame, past all of whatever it is that's going on in his life. And he has to take a leap of faith. And the Bible says that he wrapped himself in humility and he jumped into the sea. That's a leap of faith. You see, some of you need to take a leap of faith this morning in front of everybody. You need to take a leap of faith in front of the same individuals where he said, oh, when all those deny you, I won't. Guess this is what's going on in his life. He had to take a leap of faith that when he got to the shore, Jesus would be there to receive him. And he was. Because the Bible tells us that when he gets to the shore church in verses 9 and 10, Jesus is there fixing some, fixing a meal. He's frying some fish. He's baking some bread on the stone. He's got a meal going there. He's he's preparing a a meal for his disciples, church. And he does that as well. He didn't shun Peter. He didn't tell Peter to get lost. He didn't even ask Peter this ultimate question, which I haven't even got to, but will in just a moment. He didn't even confront his affection yet. He invited him to come, and that's how gracious God is, church. He allows us to come into his presence to taste and see that he is good. But then because he loves us, because He wants to restore us, because He wants to lift us to a higher place, out of the blue, He asks the difficult question, Simon, son of Jonas, do you love me? Peter's probably... I can't imagine what's going on in Peter's heart. I've done all of this. Put on humility, I've jumped into the sea. When Jesus asked me to bring a couple fish, I brought the whole net. I brought 153 fish. That's what Peter did. Read it. Peter didn't just bring a handful. Peter didn't just bring one or two. He didn't bring a basket full. The Bible says he brought the whole net of fish before the Lord because he remembered the words of David that said, I will not bring before the Lord that which cost me nothing. He remembered the words of the prophets that says we should never come before the Lord empty-handed. And, and, and because of what I've done, because of what... I, I'm not bringing Jesus a little token and a little trinket of my affection. I'm bringing Him the whole load of fish. I'm bringing Him everything. 
And the Holy Spirit's wondering this morning, what are you willing to bring before the Lord? What are you willing to lay down at His feet? I'm going to ask Pastor Chad to come to the music at this time because I'm going to start winding it down as I get to this question. But the Holy Spirit has brought us all of this in order for us to use it as a measuring rod against this very question. Simon, son of Jonas, do you love me? Out of the blue comes a question of affection. And what you and I have to realize, we might think that this is vindictive. We might think it's spiteful. We might think it's hurtful. We might think it's not Christ-like. But Jesus' sole goal is to reconcile and restore Peter. And in order to do that, he needed for Peter to see from what height he had fallen. It's exactly why he called him Simon instead of Peter. He called Peter by his natural name Simon, son of Jonas, instead of his spiritual name Peter that was given to him when they were walking down a road and Jesus said to them, who do men say that I am? And they gave all sorts of different answers. But then Jesus made it personal and he looked at the disciples, these apostles, and said, who do you say that I am? And Peter, under the anointing, Peter, under the spiritual revelation of the Holy Spirit, said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said at that point, Upon this confession of faith, upon this rock, Petros, I will build my church. But here, He didn't call him Petros. He didn't call him by His elevated name because He had fallen church. It's why the question was asked. How dare we question God concerning what or who He calls us when we haven't lived up or lived up to who we've been called to be? You see, the reality is He didn't call him Simon. I mean, He didn't call him Peter because Peter fell. When the rubber met the road, when push came to shove, When he had to give an account of the hope that laid within him, he said, I don't know the man. Please get this. I don't know the man. He didn't own him as Messiah. He didn't even reject him as Messiah. Didn't reject him as Savior. Didn't reject him as... He said, I don't know the man. Don't know the man. At that moment in his life, Jesus Christ... The Son of the living God became nothing more to him than a man. Nothing more than a stranger. Wasn't his Christ. Wasn't my Savior. Wasn't my Lord. Wasn't my Master. Wasn't teacher. Just a man. And we wonder why he called him Simon. We wonder why he calls us Simon. Because we're treating him just like a man. We come into his house. We come into his presence. We come before an almighty God and we worship him. Like he's just a man. We give to him. Like he's nothing more than a dude we met at the corner. I don't know the man. He said. He even cursed. The Bible said. And the sad reality is the house of God is filled today 
with individuals who look at Jesus just like a man, not as Savior, not as Lord, not as the Redeemer of my soul, not the one who died on the cross of Calvary so that I could be set free. Please listen to me, church. If we could just grasp this this morning, it would change our lives. If we could realize who it is that's standing on the shore, bring the prayer team up. If we could realize who it is that's speaking to us from the sea and stop treating him like he's just a man, our lives would be changed. Our nets would be filled. Our life would be experiencing an overflow of the goodness of God in our life. The question is this morning, the question of affection is, Simon, do you love me? South Metro, do you love me? Do you love me as Lord and Savior? Do you love me as kinsman, redeemer? Do you love me as the ever-present help in a time of trouble? Do you love me as the sweet rose of Sharon? Do you love me as the bright and morning star? Do Do you love me as the author and the finisher of your faith? Or do you just love me as a man? You see, Jesus is standing on the shore this morning because he knows there's some reconciliation that needs to take place. He knows that there is restoration and affection and joy and peace and love that has to be restored. And here's what we're going to do. As Pastor Chad plays, Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit is waiting for a response. Please realize this. At this moment in Peter's life, without Peter, without Jesus having to bid me to come like he did on the stormy sea, without Jesus having to beg me or bid me, I'm just going. I'm just going. I'm not going to beg you this morning. The Holy Spirit isn't going to beg you this morning. He's just going to provide you an opportunity to come and find restoration, to come and find reconciliation, to come and demonstrate your love for the Father. Even if it's for just one song, Jesus wants to know how willing you are to demonstrate your devotion to Him and make Him more than a man this morning. As He sings, this is your opportunity to just let the Lord know how much you love Him and come lay something down at the feet of Jesus Christ. I pray that you respond. I would ask everybody stand in the presence of the Lord as we sing and let the Holy Spirit move on you. This is your opportunity. As the Holy Spirit moves on you, you just respond and come.